Maybe you felt a little battered this week. We rub shoulders, not just rub shoulders, there's a clash sometimes. From an unseen realm, there's things that come against us and and how we need an anchor in this time. And the prophet would say that we need to put the stabilizers down. I believe we have a need to be at the feet of Jesus this morning. I believe we have need to hear from heaven this morning. I believe we have need for an anchor in our lives. Heavenly Father, as we're bowed before you this morning, we sang this song. and You know each of our lives, those that are here, those that are listening in. You know the troubles and the turmoils and the anguish that are around us daily. Father, we just want to come, as it says in Isaiah, come my people, enter in and till the storm be past. Father, we just want to enter into your courts this morning. We want to enter into that secret place with you. Lord, I'm the minister this morning, the vessel that you would use, but Lord, there's a place beyond what my natural voice could declare. There's a place you desire for everyone that's here. I pray that you'd make your abode, O Lord. Lord, we're we're not just trying to put words in, but we're asking that the Spirit of God would come. Back up your word, Lord. Make it real as never before. Bring us into a place, O Lord, hidden from this world, O Lord. Father, we see that people are looking for a hiding place. And the Bible declares they wouldn't find it. They would even seek death and they wouldn't find it. 
Lord, draw us in this morning into the chamber. Lord, as we open the word, we ask your blessing on everyone, those that are here, those that aren't seen. We commit the service to you now. Forgive us where we failed you. Look through the blood, Lord. Thank you for the songs and the specials. Lord, it was a blessing this morning. Come now. Take this part of the service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. Nehemiah, chapter 8. This will follow somewhat on the heels of our Wednesday service. Nehemiah, chapter 8. We'll start reading from verse 14. I may just come back to the further part of that, but let's just read verse 14. And this is at the time of almost the completion of the restoration when Israel was being restored back into their land. And we know that their inheritance was in the land. And our inheritance is not a geographical land, but it's a spiritual land. And we are being restored also. So this is not just history. This has a spiritual applications. They had gathered together here to hear the law. Actually, let's read verse 13. And on the second day they gathered together the chief of all the fathers of all the people, the priests, the Levites, unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities in Jerusalem, go forth into the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the children, that, all the congregation of them that were come out again of captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, Unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. My, oh my. What a time. We, there was an Ephesians to the journey that never was completed. There's an Ephesians in our journey that's only being completed now. And there was great gladness and also day by day from the first day unto the last day he read in the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. God bless his word. You may have your seats. I'll invite you to go with me also to the book of Psalms, chapter 27. Psalms, chapter 27. This is David. David is inspired of God. David is now writing and declaring this. There must have been some calamity around David. There must have been something that brought him to this place. You know, the world that we're looking at around us is groaning. It's travailing. 
But the reason of the groaning and the travailing is for the manifestation of the sons of God. For them not just to be manifest in, in figure, but to come to their place. That's the groaning. And we ourselves groan. So we've got things that happen. And when things happen, it drives us one way or the other. And may it drive us closer to God this morning. David is in the midst of all of this trouble. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. That I will get my Serb check. That the government will take care of me. That my bank account will be stable. That the government will watch over us and keep the morality of the land. That the government will allow us to worship freely. Now I'm saying all of these things to make a point. Where is our confidence? There's only one place. Now look at what David says. This one thing have I desired of the Lord. Now, David's not pointing to a natural tabernacle. But David's pointing also to something within his tabernacle. His desire. And Brother Branham would declare in Christ the mystery of God. He said, if God is in your heart, you have a desire to come to the house of the Lord. To get in there and fellowship. And he said, if it isn't that way, go back and pray, he says. So David said, one thing have I desired that will I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle. So in verse 4, David talks, uh, he uses these terminology the house of the Lord, his temple. Then he says his pavilion, but now he goes a step further the secret of his tabernacle. Shall he hide me? He shall set me upon a rock, and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer. In his tabernacle, sacrifices of joy. And I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Now, if you, you go uh, in the book of Revelations at the opening of this, we won't turn to the scripture, but Revelations chapter 5, at the opening of the seal, at the opening of the book, at the revealing of the names, it was after that, when all of those were made known, the Scripture says, they sung a new song. Why? Because this was the finishing. This was the completing. This was the tabernacle, the final dwelling place of God and His people. This was a restoration back to where it was when it fell in the Garden of Eden. This was God. The tabernacle of God is with men. And there was out of that a joy. There was out of that a rejoicing. 
There wasn't a bemoaning, but there was a rejoicing. This morning I'd like to speak on the secret of the tabernacle and as a subtitle, Hidden Influence. Now, I'm, I'm going to refer to the feasts of, of, uh, that, that they would have in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. But Moses, so this was in Leviticus 23, it was an ordinance given by Moses to the children of Israel. The feasts were feasts unto God. So aside from the, the daily uh, or the, the weekly uh, gathering that they would have on a Sabbath, on a seventh day, there was also going to be these memorials, these times or these seasons. And so it was, goes through it in Leviticus 23. We have in the past taken some of this, but I'm going to refer for a moment to Leviticus, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 16. So turn with me to Deuteronomy 16 for a moment, if you will. And then this is now Moses bringing these feasts in another way or another manner to a new generation that's about to inherit the land. And so he's telling them just before they move from the wilderness and they move into their inheritance and they are moving into... Uh, their promised land, and he's telling this generation about the feast. So he'd say in chapter 1, Observe the month of Abib, keep the Passover unto the Lord thy God. For in the month of Abib the Lord thy God brought thee forth out of Egypt by night. Now, if I can just say this, and I'm going to just rehearse this quickly, I'm not going to go through these, but all of these feasts type Christ. Christ our Passover. And, and so here he's telling them, keep this feast. Now they would do this yearly uh, through the month. So in, in the month of Abib, you know, in, in the month of Abib, they would come forth and they would observe this feast. And, and he says, and they would do these, and they would actually do this feast, the feast of the Passover, as a memorial. Because their Passover was when they came out of Egypt. And he would actually tell him, you shall remember that you were a bondsman and that you came out. The Lord's Passover. And so when we observe our communion, which is a type of the same thing, we, need, we do that to remember where we came from. Our human flesh is so weak, we forget, uh, we forget the grace of God to us. We get lifted up. We get religious. We have a spirit on us. And, and, and if we're not careful, we need to be humbled continually to remember God, to remember His Word, to thank Him for what He's done for us. And God works with us continually. So this is a remembrance. Now, so they, they would say, Thou shalt therefore sacrifice the Passover unto the Lord of thy God, the flock and the herd, the place which the Lord shall choose to place His name. So right on the heels of the Passover, he says, Thou shalt eat no unleavened bread with it. So, so this was now another feast. It was the feast of unleavened bread. And now this was uh, maybe not just a looking back, but this was a prefigure. Because there was two feasts that would accompany seven days. 
So the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they didn't understand. They would observe these feasts every year. Feast 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. The next year, 1, 2, 3. And they would do it over and over. But these feasts actually were written across the span of the table of time. And they would start from one end and they would work their way to the other. So the real Passover was Christ. The real unleavened bread for seven days was seven church ages. The real wave sheaf, the first fruits that would come, was going to be Christ. The real Pentecost was going to come in Acts chapter 2. And it would come down to three different gatherings. It would be the feast, there would be three feasts, feasts in one gathering. There would be Pentecost in the middle, and there would be three feasts at the end of time. The feast at the end of time would be the blowing of trumpets, the feast of atonement, and the feast of tabernacles. Now the trumpets was really to Israel to gather them back. The, the atonement was for them not to rekill the sacrifice, but to recognize the original Passover. And then there was tabernacles. Now the tabernacles was for both Israel and for the Gentiles. Because the tabernacles, which was, and I won't have time to go into today, but when they really recognize that they killed their Messiah, let his blood be upon us. What did it say in Zechariah 13? Every man went into his house apart. They separated themselves, and within their own tabernacle, they wept. And, and, and they, would, they would come to a recognition of what they did. Now, that was a quick summary. But it also, the Feast of Tabernacles, the last feast, that was also kept for seven days. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread was seven days which was seven church ages. The pure word of God, not, well, not, let me just say, let me rephrase it. The word of God to every age, and it was for the Gentiles. It was not just for the Israelites. And then there would come at the end a feast of tabernacles, and it was represented in seven days, but it also attached something new to it, which said the eighth day. Now, there was never an eighth day until this last feast. And there was never a type of an eighth day until the ending of this last feast. And we are not just in the seventh church age, but we are moving into eternity. We are moving into the eighth day, and we need to recognize we're not just here fulfilling the same old cycle anymore. This is an exodus that is bringing us into eternity. It is God that is leading us into something greater. Now, that was, that was me just setting it forth. Now, let me just take the first part of chapter 16 here. And I'm not going to read all of this. You can read it, but to the Jews, these seven feasts were brought into three different gatherings. So it's highlighted really well in, in the book of Deuteronomy. The first three feasts, which were, which was the gathering which was Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, was one gathering. And that was at one time a year, and those three were summarized as the Passover feast. 
Now, the second gathering, which was seven weeks after, you can read this in chapter 9, was going to be Pentecost. So it was seven weeks after it was Pentecost. And then the last gathering, which was the final three feasts, was simply called the Feast of Tabernacles. So the trumpets was to get an attention. The atonement was a recognition to bring them into something God desired all along. For Israel, he said, you shall prepare me a sanctuary. For the Gentiles, it was God calling his bride, the one that he foreknew from the foundation of the earth. She was always a part of him. She was a, the hidden part of him. Now, there's, there's a part of this that I'm going to get into next week because it, 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 it just there's too much to cover today. But it, she was always there. She was always in the mind of God. She was predestinated. And Brother Bannon would say there's brides, 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 but there's coming a bride that will fulfill all the types. It was a prefigure. This Eve will not fall. This God will dwell in this Eve, and she will live not by her works, not by her life, but by the life of him that's dwelling in him. Friends, it is not our righteousness that brought us here. It is not the righteousness, and I think if you ever start to feel that way, God will allow you to fall flat on your face. God will let you know that it's not you that can bring forth. It's only his life in you. It's not Ed Hammermeister that keeps himself. It's God that keeps me. It's the grace of God that keeps me. Without him holding me, I surely would fall. Without his hand, surely will fail. Now, so let's, let's for the moment, if I can just say, I'm not going to read all of this, but you can read chapter 16, verses 1 to 8, and it would talk about you couldn't sacrifice anywhere, but you could only sacrifice at the place God chose to place his name. Now, that name was Christ. And now remember, of the first gathering, there was three feasts, and the unleavened bread was the feast that was seven days, typing seven church ages. And then there was the feast uh, of first fruits, and the feast of first fruits, which was really the, the waving of the sheaf with the promise that as there was one part of this crop that had come to maturity, more will come forth. How do you know, Brother Ed, there'll be a, a, a bride? Because God said so. Not, not because we studied enough, we learned enough. I say, oh God. I, you know what, I, I pray more than ever in our services. I pray, Lord, let it not be words that we hear. Let it not be something that's just intellectual, but let it be at a higher level than that. Let it be spirit and life that we know it's not us, but it's Him in us. Now, I, I want to, if I can, just let's take it to the PowerPoint, if you can, Brother Dan. 
I'm going to try and draw a little bit of a picture. So this will carry over into next week, and we'll see where, where God would take it with that. But I, I, do want to, I do want to just give a little bit of a picture for where I'm going. I'm not going to go through all the feasts here today. But just to give a little clarity and, and a picture, because uh, I, I think sometimes I just heard a testimony of a, of a young person who had just come back to God and had, had been away for many years, but he remembered when he was five years old that there was a minister that taught the Scripture, and he could remember that, and it brought him back to that same minister. And I so thank God that his word will not return void. So uh, here's a summary of these feasts. The Passover, also called the Unleavened Bread. Pentecost. Now all of these relate to a harvest and food. So I'm going to come into that in another service. But Pentecost, also called the Feast of Weeks. And then Tabernacles, called the Ingathering, or the Booths. And in the book of Exodus, uh, and actually in Deuteronomy, it says, Your male shall come before me three times a year. So it was three main gatherings. Now, the first was in uh, the first gathering, the Passover, the first three feasts, was at this time of year. And then it was a little further down. It was seven weeks later. And then seven months later was the last gathering, which was the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. Now, Brother Branham would say this. All seven Jewish feasts were kept in the same place. They, they didn't keep one at a certain place. He goes through all the types. But he says in paragraph 51, it's a beautiful type. We could go through the seven churches, church ages, and show that God keeps all seven church ages in the Word. There was a little part of that candlestick that drew from the same oil, and it was God that kept it. He said, each church age produced a part of the Word, and whenever they produced it, and they saw the light. Now you say all these seven feasts must be kept in one place. Therefore, the seven church ages had to come from one single place, and that was Christ speaking in all the seven church ages. Now we're moving beyond Jewish history, and we're moving into some types here. Now Feast of Tabernacles, as it was known, was also called to the Jews Sukkot, which I may not pronounce that correctly, but the Feast of Tabernacles. So what they would do is they would gather together, as we read in the book of Nehemiah, on the roof of their house or in the courtyard of their house, and they would gather branches, and they would gather all manner of branches, and they would take these branches, and they would bring them either onto the court. Where would they gather them, first of all? It was in the mountain. It wasn't in the desert. They would gather them in the mountain, and they would bring them down, and they would build this enclosure on the roof. Then they would go and they would have this gathering. And now remember, this feast was seven days. And it was a feast that was set aside in a secret tabernacle in a little place where it was just them and God. It was not the outside distractions anymore. The business of everyday life. Now I'm, I'm going to need to just labor on this a little bit. So let me show this first and I'll come back to it. But it would, would be a gathering of the family, and it was a simpler time. It was to be a remembrance where they were brought with, without, let's call it, 
any social media sites, without any phones ringing, without anything. And, 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 you know, we live in such a neurotic age. Brother Ed, why would we have, why would God say it was the Feast of Tabernacles, which was the feast that was, they were observed at the time of restoration? Because they had to come to a secret place. If I can say this, if you read the seals book and you read God in simplicity, which I never, I would say the human mind goes over it and and bypasses it. Oh, let me just get to the seal. Let me get to the meat of the matter. But really, it's God in simplicity. And in the seventh seal, Brother Branham stops and he says, now, that's the reason, he says in the seventh seal, I preached this first, the God of simplicity, otherwise you're going to miss it. So the seventh seal, which is Christ coming back to earth, it's knowing Him. Now there's an aspect of this that I really want to get to, but I need to lay the groundwork of it. So really, if you look at it, it's the seventh seal, which is Christ, which begins opening to us almost first. And we don't recognize it. Now Brother Adam would say the seventh angel is on earth at the time of this coming. So the the angel of Revelations 10, he comes to earth, but he says the seventh angel is on earth at the time of his coming. Our interaction is not to take the book from the hands of the seventh angel, but it's to take the book from the hands of the mighty angel. So it's us to come to Christ. It's not to come to a church. It's not to come to a doctrine, but it's come to a knowledge of him, to recognize him. If we do that, we miss it. I will say, I'll be honest sometimes. Maybe we as ministers, sometimes we try too hard. And we try to get that. And we try to explain it. Even Brother Branham tried to explain it. But really, we need to leave a portion for Christ in every service. Brother Branham would even say in in certain place, now, I, I, I can't say too much about it. But... You'll catch this. Now, it's not so anybody can catch it, but it's to those that are in the secret place can catch it. So we want to be dwelling in that place. And, 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 and that's what we labored on on Wednesday a little bit. It's not to gain an understanding of, of, of the Word or the opening of the Word as, as something up there, but it's right down here in my heart. It's so my heart can be changed. It's so I can be changed. It's so that this doesn't just be doctrine and something that we all believe and I'm part of the whole thing, but no, it's real. To, if it's not real to anyone, let it be real to you. So this, this feast was, was this way. And it was the Feast of Fruits. It was the ingathering of the fruits. This was the finality of all the harvest. You know, harvest is a wonderful time. That's when you... You know, right now we're just in the planting stage. Not quite even planting stage yet because uh, the warm weather of yesterday seemed to have bypassed us. Last week I went to Saskatoon and they accused me of bringing the snow. I don't know if anybody had any influence on the weather here today, but I'm just saying, okay? Okay, that's good. I just want to put that out there. Take that home with you, Sister Hannah. Sorry. Go, go. Oh, man. Sorry. Did I say that? God bless you. Anyway. <laughs> so, so I, I, I would just say it was the feast of, of, the, of the gathering. Now, 
if you look at the Jewish, this is what they would build. It was something like this, and they would hang different things. And, and this is where they would dwell. This is the place that they would go to. And then they would, they would be able to have these leaves over top, but it would give them a glimpse to the heavenly. It would give them, the roof of their house wouldn't allow that to be visible, but this now would open a little window where it was just God and them alone. You know, Brother Adam would talk about the seventh seal, and he would talk about the vision that he had, the tent vision. And he would say, you know, the tent vision, there was three parts of it. There, there was, there, there was the, the fishing of the rainbow trout, and there was three poles to it. Then there was the latching of the, 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 the baby shoe, and then there was this tent. But, but it wasn't just the tent, because inside the tent, there was this great gathering, and there was a meeting, and that was wonderful. But the secret of that tent was the little room. The little room which the people walked into that room and they came out and they were healed. How did it happen? I don't know, but it happened. I can't explain it, but it happened. And you know what? It wasn't a public show. It was a secret place. And it's a place between God and the believer. And it's a place we need to dwell in. So this was was the place. And you know, they would be there and at night they would have a gathering and they... It was a time apart. Now, let me just make this. When we had our family, and, you know, when we were younger, and we didn't have everything that we had, part of our vacations were in tents. And, you know, we have a limited season for tents, and, and it's twofold. It's one based on affordability, and the other one is based on age. Because you guys, you get older, you don't want to sleep in a tent anymore. So, but way back then, we would, we would, we'd go camping, we'd sleep in a tent. Now, my wife had a deprived childhood because the first time she ever went camping was with me. Now, she didn't have the benefit I had. But we would, even in the winter, we would recreate it. You know, and sometimes we would take the living room, we would pull all the chairs together, we'd get the blankets, and we'd build a tent in the living room. Hey, we're going to go camping this weekend. And the kids would just rejoice. You know, as they got older and they got teenagers, as they got to be teenagers, Dad, that's so corny. We're, we're going camping a few feet from the kitchen table. Yeah, we're going camping. And you know, there's something, we, we actually did it for a while in our backyard. We slept in the... In the in a tent in the backyard, and, and it was fun. It, 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 it was embracing something. Now, I, I will just say this. In our family, only one parent actually slept back there because the other parent was too comfortable with her bed. Oh, did I say that? With her bed. But, but we had this gathering, and it was wonderful. And, and you know, we just get out there, and, you know, it was all good till about four in the morning when there were some strange noises, because we live out in the country, and, you know, what was that, Dad? And I got to go to the washroom, and they never came back. And, and so, it was, it was a great gathering, <laughs> but it was a simpler time, and it was something you were drawn away from everything. Now, as we got older and became more sophisticated, we took a cell phone with us to stay in contact. You know, Junior went into the washroom. In case he doesn't come back, make sure he's in his bed, da-da-da-da-da. You know, and, and my daughter even one time, she slept out under a hammock. We have this hammock. It's all great until mosquito season comes. And then you don't, you don't want to stay out there any longer. But it, it's just, think about the simplicity of it. Now, God is in simplicity. So here's this... 
this booth. Now, uh, let, me, let me go back. We'll just, we'll just turn that off. Brother, I can you just take it off? We're going to go back to that in a bit. I'd like you to go with me for a minute to Leviticus chapter 23. And I want to just take this for a moment. Leviticus 23, this was the original. You can put the lights back on, Brother Duane, if you don't mind. Now, I'm glad this is not just a history book. I'm glad God thought of something greater when he was telling them this. I'm glad that in the season we live in, we can see something greater. Oh my, if we could see it. Leviticus 23, so in verse 33, this is now after the Feast of Trumpets, after the Feast of of the Atonement. And he would say, verse 33... Speak unto the children of Israel, in verse 34, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein. And he would go on to tell them, you know, it was seven days that you, you shall, in verse 36, you shall offer an offering made by fire. On the eighth day shall be a holy convocation unto you. Now, nowhere else in the types in the Bible is there an eighth day because after seven days you come back to the first day. But if you take the first, the unleavened bread, it says, then you go back to one again. But after this feast, you go to number eight. So that's significant. Now, if you have a chance between now and next week, go and listen to the message, Future Home of the Earthly Bridegroom, uh, Earthly Bride and the Heavenly Bridegroom. And Brother Branham takes this on a several different levels. Now, tabernacles is what it's called. It's not called Pentecost. It's not called Passovers, pa- Pentecost. But this one is plural. It, it tabernacles. Showing uh, several things. It's not just one place, but it's in many places. It's God in a many-membered body. There's many tabernacles that God wants to dwell in. And we want to be recipients of that tabernacle. Yes, it's our tabernacle. Yes, it's this tabernacle. But it's greater. It's not the outside man, the spirit man. But it's the soul man he's desiring to dwell in. Now we say, it is a solemn, the eighth day shall be a holy convocation. And then he would say, I, I, I really want to bypass this to go a little further. Drop down to verse 39. In the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the fruit of the land, you'll keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, and on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. Now, their Sabbath was the Saturday, the seventh day. But at this one, as a type, there would come a resurrection day. And under the resurrection day would be a new Sabbath day, which was Sunday. A day of rest. Okay? Now, just take the type of rest for a moment. We're going to come into it. And you shall take on the first day boughs of goodly trees, palm trees, boughs of thick trees, and willows. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. It shall be a statue forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths seven days. All the Israelites born shall dwell in booths that your generations may know I the Lord. Now what's he trying to tell them here? That your generations 
may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, I want to dwell on this just for a moment. Um, Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. You don't actually just go quickly, Brother Dan. If you just put it up, you don't have to turn to it. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. You could follow this through and you can see how Abraham went to a place not knowing where he should go. But in verse 13, it said, These all died in the faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So in other words, if you, if you follow um, Abraham and his seed, they dwelt in tents. There was something nomadic about their nature. They, they didn't have a certain dwelling place. If you follow Jacob and Esau, Esau actually built uh, a place because you know, Esau was a twin, but he took a Canaanite woman and he built a masonry structure. It was something permanent. It was not speaking that I'm going to follow God wherever he leads me. In other words, I'm going to camp down. It was the same spirit that was on Cain. And Cain, he, he took the wisdom of the world around him and it says they built cities. They used technology Their interest was only in what's here on this earth. Only what we can satisfy ourselves. But the seed of God had something different about them. Everything that we do. Abraham, when he met the king of uh, of Salem, he wouldn't take anything from him lest he would be tethered or tied to this world. But when he met Melchizedek, he gave of his tithes. So there was something within Abraham. Nobody told him to do it, but it was something that was there. It was the children of Israel who under the law, they were told, Here, here's your field. Now don't glean it 100%. Leave some for the stranger and the wayfarer. In other words, it's not yours. God gave it to you. God will give you the increase. It's the same thing with tithing. We give a part of ourselves, not begrudgingly, but we give a part of ourselves because we recognize anything we have wasn't ours in the first place. It was God's. He gave it to me. Therefore, I'll give him back a tenth. And what are you doing when you're saying that my life is hooked with Christ? It's not hooked to my own doing. It's not hooked to what I can do. But it's a part of Christ. I'm tied to him. It's not my own. I belong to Jesus. So there was something nomadic in their nature. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Peter would talk about laying aside everything in verse 1. And, and he would say in verse 5, Be lively stones, built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And then he would say, verse 9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. People look at us funny. The way we dress, the way we act. We're not fighting for everything like the world is fighting. We're not desiring to hoard and to keep everything ourselves. 
I guess it depends out of which European country you came out of because there are certain ones that, that do that. But that's our first nature. But our second nature is different. It's of Christ. And then he would say in verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, I'm not going to get into this fully today, but next week I, I, I'd like to get into it. Um, and, and, you know, Brother Dan, I'm going to just change this around a little bit if you can. Go back to the slideshow for a minute, and then after I play these two slides, I want to have you play that clip for me, if you don't mind. So in, in the slideshow, if you turn to slide number 41, if you will, please. Now, some of you who are part of chat groups and things, you will recognize this a little bit. But I want to take this part where Paul would speak. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, we all have a natural birth. And the natural birth sets us in order for something. But we also have a spiritual birth. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm leading this up to next week where I'd like to speak on the influence of your heavenly body. But I, 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 want, to, uh, I want to just take this for a moment and I'm just going to use this to inject a little bit of where I'm going. You may be familiar with this slide. It's, it's been a part of the message for many years it's a picture taken of Brother Branham when he was preaching in Lakeport, California. And when he was in Lakeport, California, the photographer caught this in one picture. But there was a second part to this picture when it was taken, and this came up on, this, on, on, the, on the, the realm. Now, there, there's a lot of different things that are here. There's been many different explanations of this, but you can't see Brother Branham so much anymore, but you can see kind of the, all of these little different lights that are here. You can see the influence of a face behind Brother Branham. Now, you can turn that off, Brother Dan, and make, make ready for the clip. Now, I, I want you to think for a moment about Brother Branham, and I want you to think about where he came from and how God took him. And, and the Bible would say, our names are written in heaven. He would, Jesus would tell his disciples, rejoice not because you can do all these things. Rejoice because your names are written in heaven. And Brother Branham would say in, in one message, as he was looking up into the stars, and he would say, look up into the stars, he'd say, Paul is in there. My mother's in there. Now that was God's first Bible. Now, we can't see it, but we're born under a sign, we're born under an influence, and we're born under those things, and it sets us in order a certain way. So Brother Branham would have that, and he, and he would have a nature that he was born so much that it had to be that he was going to take on the spirit of Elijah, which would take natural characteristics, 
And, it, and he would have to have a mother that was part native. He'd have to have a father that was a certain way. And, and, he, and he would have to be a lover of the wilderness. And that was part of his first nature. And, and he would say there was a positive aspect to that. Because he say after he received the new birth, he says it didn't take out a part of that. It, it didn't take out the, the, the love for the wilderness and the love. And he says he thanked God for it. So, but yet, that first nature would have led him to kill a group of young boys that teased him. It would have led him to a path of drinking, which the angel warned him about. And yet there was parts of it that affected him all his life. He would have moody spells. He would have certain things that would affect him. But yet, behind it, God had a design and, and, and God allowed certain things to be that way. But there was something greater that was hidden to everybody all the time. And so, even so much so that as he got discouraged one time and he was traveling from the north in the country where we were at, driving through Montana, and he was discouraged. And then he saw the Lord drew his attention to seven peaks. And he said, those seven peaks represent your life. And he says, the first three represent your first pull and the second pull. And then there's that big dip where you went into a depression. So God knew him. God knew his name. God knew his first nature. He knew his second nature. Now, are, are you ready with that clip, Brother Dan? Now, I'm going to play this. I don't do this very often. But this is Brother Lonnie Jenkins, who's now passed on. And, and some of you brothers will know this and recognize it. But I want you just to play this because he relates... Now, I'm talking about Brother Brandon, but I want you to think about yourselves. He relates what we just saw in those pictures. So if you'll go ahead and play that, if you don't mind. A much younger Lonnie Jenkins, by the way. Can you turn that on? This was the seven licks of fire, uh, the supernatural picture taken in Grass Valley, California. And uh, I don't think it's going to project what I want projected. So I did a little ink addition on it right there. And if you ever get this picture in your hand again, you can look for that little picture there because it didn't show up on this transparency. But I've told you before, but I've never shown you the picture. I was talking with Brother Sidney Jackson one day, prophet from South Africa, that uh, was a close friend of Brother Branham's. And he, brother, he said, Brother Branham took this picture. And he says, Brother Sidney, he says, look close behind me on the platform, holding up this this picture. And he says, look closely behind me. He says, do you see that face that looks like an old Indian chief or something? And Brother Jackson says, yes, I see that. And I've never noticed that there before. He says, that's my old nature. He said, it's always there to haunt you. He says, when he says, when you receive Christ and his word. Now, I'm going to do my hands the way Sidney did because it's very significant. And he said that's the way Brother Branham did. He says, when you stand and receive the word for the hour, the revelation of the hour, he says that Holy Ghost fire comes down into your soul and he says, burns out the old nature. He didn't say a word, but you got a picture. It loses the position of dominion, but it moves to a place of influence. It, 
cannot make you do anything, but it'll talk to you as if it's in the same place that it always was, but it has no power. And he says that, he says, my old nature looks like an Indian chief because he says, because my mother was half Indian. Now, if that happened to a prophet, that's what happens to every child of God. The old nature is burned out of you and your new nature is God. But the old nature is always there to haunt you. It'll try to condemn you over the things that it did in your body. Are you following me? So consequently, that's why God says you are a new creature. Why? Because the control tower inside is brand new, absolutely new, and didn't do a thing against God. And that's why you can stand justified before God as if you never did it because you, the real you, the predestinated soul from God, you did not do it. It was that old nature that did it and were you perfectly you. Hallelujah. (laughs) Now I I was going to try and say it and I thought there's a teacher of God that was used in this generation and I appreciate the way he did that. And I, I thought, let's thank God for that gift when it was here. Brother Lonnie's passed on. But the symbology was very important. There's something was behind Brother Branham that haunted him. Moody spells, different things. Now, something behind you can haunt you if you let it. Now, this will be part of another service, but... It's what you feed on. It's how much you give yourself to it. How much you let that old man speak to you. Now there was a change in diet when Israel crossed from the wilderness into Jordan. And we'll, we'll come to that. Now, like I said, I'm not going to get to all of this today. We're, we're running out of time quickly. But I, I thought that helped me. And I pray that will help you. Don't, when, when, when you've, when I, I used to, a couple of Wednesdays ago, your flesh will let you down. Your old nature will let you down. But remember, there's an influence of dominion over you. If you've been born again. If God has come and cleansed you. Now, it doesn't mean you're not affected. You'll always be affected. But, but we, we leave it there for a moment. Now, there's influences Now, I'm going to use this just for a moment, because this will also carry over, but go with me for a moment to Revelations chapter 8. And I'm going to use this as a basis. Brother Ed, why do I have to go into a tabernacle? I'll tell you what, if you're not in that tabernacle, you're going to get swept away. It's your hiding place. It's your place of safety. It's not because you're in a family that attends this church. It's not because you pay your tithes here. It's not because you can show up at a service here. It's not even because you have a place at home that you can gather. But it has to be greater than that. Because there's things that are on the world that are 
I'm going to say frightening if we could see it for what it is. Revelations chapter 8, verse 13. Now this is in the middle of the seven trumpets, which is to Israel. And, and it says in the Bible, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Now, it didn't say woe can easily be mixed up with other words. Somebody can hear woe and assume it means go. Isn't that right, Brother Dan? Yes, I just wanted to, he caught that. So you can ask him about it after. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Now, just to give you the background, Brother Branham would talk to the first woe as being the first world war. The second woe was the second world war. And the third world, the third world war, which is Armageddon, which is yet to come. But let's read about the first woe under this. In verse chapter 9, verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. Now notice the terminology. This star fell from heaven. This one did not descend from heaven. But he fell. He was cast down. I, I won't have time, but in the Greek tongue it's called Apollyon or Abaddon. It's later in that scripture. This is a very similar to Lucifer. Okay? Now it says, And when he was brought to the earth, he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke of the pit, and as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the star and, and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now, we took this on Wednesday, and it says how men's eyes or men's minds are being darkened. Romans chapter 1. And it would talk in Ephesians chapter 4. It said, who like the Gentiles, their minds darkened. So they can't even see, or like they can't even reason properly anymore. You say, well, brother Ed, thank God I'm in the message. I'll tell you what, it goes deeper than that. Because there have been those that are in the message, but their minds have also become darkened. Why is that? Because they've never come far enough. Now it would say in verse 3, And there came out of this smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Where is the seal? In your mind, in the mind realm, that's the greatest battle. That's where God is keeping you, keeping your hearts and minds by the Spirit of Christ. 
That's where we need a clear understanding. Now, and, and it was given to them, verse 5, that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. And their torment was as the torment of the torment of a scorpion when he strikes man. And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. They shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. I'll tell you what. There is a torment on the earth like never before. And, and now, I won't have time to go into this today. But the gods of this earth, there's powers that have influenced the earth like never before. We have a brother here, Brother Reinhold. He grew up in Germany. And as a young man, he grew up to see the rise of a man come into power called Adolf Hitler. And Adolf Hitler, he controlled a people. And, and, and listen, that was part of a spirit that was loose from the river Euphrates. But he, he controlled a people through means of propaganda, through controlling their minds by fear by propaganda, and it was so empowering. You talk to Brother Reinald, he'll tell you, it's like brainwashing. And unless you have something to keep your brain clear, unless you're washed by the water of the Word daily, you too, I will be swept away. I can't make this real enough. I watched a documentary and it's called The Social Dilemma. And it's, it's about, it, it was produced by Netflix. And I had a brother who had a version of it. I've seen parts of this on YouTube. But it talks about what's happened in this age. And it talks about the rise of, uh, of the co greatest companies in the world, which are really entertainment companies, which have a branch into Hollywood which have a branch into social media, which, which filter into every level. But it would talk about the founders of these things. And they did all of these things on a very good principle. It talked about the man who worked for uh, one of the social media sites, and he was the inventor of the like button. And, and, and I don't know, I think they all have it in some form. And he says, we thought this would be a good thing to get people interactive. And it has been a good thing. It's allowed families to connect. But part of that was the consequences that came from that. And it's now gone out of control where that there's a whole generation of teenagers where if they don't get the like button enough times, there's talks of suicide depression. There is talks about now it's controlling them. They're no longer controlling it. And it's controlling them that they're only posting their best pictures. There's, talk, there's, there's people now who, who no longer want to go to sites to doctor the images. There's actually people that are going to, to uh, uh, plastic surgeons to alter their image to fit the best pictures on their social media sites. 
They have now been so consumed with this entertainment form or this thing, it has got a grip of them. There are homes, and I, I'm, I'm just saying this, we're not immune. And I, you talk about neurotic. I brought this up the other day. We too, I, I've, I've, I've examined how it's brought me in and there's times where, <laughs> I'll, have, I'll just say it like it is. I said, I, I have a, a client that came to us and he's a, he's a Christian man, a husband and a wife, and he, he's a lawyer. He works among the natives and, and, and he works up in the northern part of Alberta. He has a plane. He flies up there. He flies back and, and he comes back and he's building a shelter. I helped him. We helped donated some things and it's for troubled youth to get out of trouble and they have a gardening thing and they have a program and everything. And so he actually came from the Northwest Territories originally. And he has another plane that he has up at Yellowknife somewhere. It's a float plane. And he flies that plane and they have a cabin in the Northwest Territories on a lake where they're the only ones on that lake and it's miles and miles. And he said, and he heard I was a minister. He says, you know, I've taken other ministers up there. You'll love it. There's no phone. There's no internet. You can be away from everything for two weeks if you want. And I started to think about I don't know if I can handle that. And, and, you know, not that I was shaking or anything, but I thought, how long could I last? Because he said, listen, if you want, you can go for three or four days. We'll take you up there. And I thought, well, this would be wonderful. Well, what was the whole purpose of the booths? Get away from everything that troubles you, consumes you, Shut it off. Get to a place where God can speak to you. Now, that's not so easy to do in this world. But we need it. This is the feast that we are called to in the middle of Satan's Laodicea and all of the fineries of it. The Bible says drink not a little. You can, you know, take a little for your stomachs and fernity. Well, yeah, that's fine. But be careful because pretty soon I got a sniffle. Where's the wine bottle? No, that, that, you got to be careful. It doesn't consume you. Now, you know what your nature is. You know what your weakness is. I, I appreciate the transparency of Brother Harold years ago. He said his trouble was television. I, he, he's listening in, but he said... And he says, do what the prophet said, shoot it. Shoot it. And I think there was a brother somewhere in, I think he came from Saskatchewan somewhere, but he, he heard the message and he thought, that was bothering me because the Bible says, cut off this if it bothers you. He took it out, set it up on a stand, got the shotgun. What was it doing? Allowing a place for God. Now, you might not think, I'm troubled. I don't have social media, so it's, maybe it's not my trouble. But maybe it's somebody's trouble here. But look, look at what actually has come into the world. Now, I read this article, and I was, I thought, I didn't read it. I listened to it. But I go like, this is incredible. Some of these men that were founders of the internet, 
and of social media, they say it's out of control. This is not what we intended it to become, but it's from the tree of knowledge. And Brother Bannerman, let's go off social media for a minute. The theaters which were there became televisions, became monitors, became devices. Where all you can look at when you book a room now, do they have Wi-Fi? Who's addicted? Who's caught up? What's the need of this? Now, there's another aspect, and and I'm going to carry some of this over. I, I brought it in on Wednesday a little bit. But look at what's happening in the world today. I I, I use the phrase, it's become a socialistic society. Socialistic in that they become dependent on handouts. They become dependent on the government. What is happening with all of this now? There is a dependency on, on technology, on media, on government... There's a dependency where if you become so entangled that no longer can you be free to worship God. Now, I'm going to go all the way back to Nehemiah now. I, 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 I wanted to read more here, but let's go back to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're just going to wind down with this, okay? And we're going to carry this over to next week. Is that all right? Nehemiah chapter 8. Now, uh, let, let's just rather read. I'm not going to read all that I gave you there, Brother Dan, but let's just let's read for a moment from verse 1. This is now, we took this. When they came from Babylon, there was three gatherings. There was Zerubbabel, who came first and built the foundation. Then 78, and, and the walls of the temple. Then 78 years passed. Then came Ezra the priest... And, and then Nehemiah came and built the walls of the city. So it took actually up to 92 years before they came to this feast, this place. But now, look at the attitude of the people. All the people gathered themselves together as one man. What are we being gathered under? Not under first pull. Not under second pull, but under third pull, we're gathered together. Oh, only let me hear from you, Lord. I, I, we're not under a man anointing anymore. It's you that have got us in your control. Lord, you anoint the minister. You anoint that man. And then Ezra brought the law unto the congregation. It was no co- coincidence. When was this? On the first day of the seventh month, which happened to be just coming into the Feast of Tabernacles. And they gathered, and in verse 3, the latter part, it says, And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Oh, this was a different attitude than when they left. Their attitude, well, let's just show up at church, let the priest do his thing, and go, Let's hear what God's saying. I believe we've come to that place again. And, and then it would go down and verse 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. Verse 7, and here it has all of these names. And the Levites, now I, I know the Levites get a, a short end of the stick. The Levites have been the cause of all the troubles in the message. True. 
Some, some have been. But there's also a true order. And the Bible says here, and, and the Levites caused the people to understand the law. It's still God's order. Yes, you listen to the tapes. But you need God-called gifts. I need them. I'm not saying it because I'm part of it. I need them. We need every gift God can give us. Verse 8, so they read in the book and the law of God distinctly and gave them the sense and caused them to give understanding. Now, and in, in, in verse 9, Nehemiah would say, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, neither weep, for all the people wept when they heard the word of the Lord. He says unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, the portions, for this day is holy unto the Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. Now what are we seeing under this feast? And and I'm going to bring something out next week where Brother Adam says under future home. We are under the Feast of Tabernacles, and in the millennium there will be a further part of that, the eighth day. What are we seeing on the horizon? This is it. The types are over. We're in the last types. The book is opened. I've seen my name in the book. I am not the son of my natural mother and father. I'm something better. God has got a hold of me. The first nature is governing me. It's God and me alone. That's what's got me. No matter what the accuser throws i got something greater than that. I've got God in my midst. So the Levites still the people. Hold your peace. The day is holy. Don't be grieved. They went their way to eat and to drink. Now, okay, let's have the musicians come. I'm, I'm, this will show you I'm closing. What was this whole purpose for? When Israel left Egypt... They went out under tents. And now Moses is telling him in Deuteronomy, build these booths. Separate yourself from all the influences. Come aside, my people. What's God telling us in this day? The world is out there. It'll, it, you can't stop it. But he says, neither can you stop what's in here. And he says, come into this place. There's riches untold. Does that mean you just are immersed in the Bible? No, it means as you walk, you're in a booth and the world knows nothing about it. And and as you walk down the street and you got to smile, I'm going to walk this earth again without sin, without corruption, without tattoos, without earrings, without all of the, the, the things that contaminate the earth. I'm going to walk it again. Ah, but I'm in a secret place with God. I I have the slides. I'm not going to show it today. But if you follow Enoch, the type of the tabernacle, there was a grand, the natural type that was built in Egypt, there was a grand gallery with seven steps, typing seven church ages. There was a final step, a great step. It was not a step you could take up by man. Some other power had to bring you into that place. And it brought you on the level of the king's chamber. But before you went into the king's chamber, there was another little chamber. It was a secret little room where Enoch could be, and he was away from the early ages. He was away in a secret place. Now in the Feast of Booths, here they are. 
and they're brought to their remembrance what it was like coming out of Egypt. When there was no, it wasn't what man could do, it's what God could do for them. And they'd be in these booths at night and they'd look at the stars and they'd remember, God is my provider. God is my keeper. And maybe back there in the wilderness, they would have a look and maybe, because that pillar of fire was a cloud by day, and, it was a, and maybe they would see that pillar of fire through that booth that they couldn't see when they were in their natural house. That was the light of God. That was the glory of God that doesn't go out. That's the part of you that was always with God. Come aside, my people. Enter into the chamber. Come aside into this booth. I I didn't get to everywhere I got to, but I'm, I'm bringing you. I trust, friends, that you can gather into this place. Oh, I need to be in this place. I'll tell you what, when you got a nature change, you don't want to be feeding on those things. You don't want to go there. You don't want to go there. Lord, let me come to you. Let me be safe within you. Can we stand together this, this morning? Oh, what a place to be in. There is a, there's no other place like this place. There's a song I was thinking of and now I, I think I've lost it. Oh, my goodness. Let's sing into the chamber for now. Into the chamber. Into the chamber. Be free, Holy Spirit. Speak to me gently as I close the I close the door.